Welcome back to a Two Guys, One Topic expert interview. I'm Ollie. I'm Liam. And this week, as our listeners will know, we had the topic of boxing. And Liam, we needed to go out, clarify some of the things we'd learn, and find a topic expert. We're getting good at this though, aren't we? We are finding more and more excellent experts to interview. So the guy we have spoken to today has been in boxing for 35 years. He is currently one of the boxing pundits for Sky Sports. Uh, He was a boxer, he was a promoter, he was head of boxing for Haymaker Promotions. He's also a trainer, coach and corner man for world champions including Tony Bellew. This interview that's coming up is with Dave Coldwell. Dave, thank you very much for joining us on the Two Guys, One Topic podcast. It's my pleasure. Thanks for having me on board. This week, we've been researching and looking into the topic of boxing, as all of our listeners will know. And we just really need to find someone who is our who's our expert. And Dave, you definitely fit the category, given your, your experience in and around the sport. But what we always like to do is just to have a little bit of a better idea about how is it that you got into boxing and involved with boxing in the first place? Okay, so uh, I've now been in boxing for 30 years. Um, in fact, it'll be 31 years in November. Um, and I started boxing because I was your, your classic school wimp. You know, the kind of guy that you saw on films and stuff like that, getting you know beat down and, and mocked and, and all that sort of stuff. And then one day, you just had enough of it. And the idea was... I'm going to go back and get them all. I'm going to learn how to fight and go okay. back and get them all. But I ended up falling in love with it. And I never went back and got anybody. I just, I just, <laughs> I, just fell in, I fell in love with, with the sport. I was under the guidance of, of the great, late Brendan Ingle. Um, I trained alongside some special fighters, you know, Prince Nassim, Nassim Ahmed, Bomber, Bomber Graham, Errol Bomber mm-hmm. Graham in the early days. Um, so it was, it was a real eye-opener. It was a l- real life changer for me and, and that's how I fell into boxing to be honest because because I had a really bad childhood um, and it was about getting confident and and growing my self-esteem and and learning a little bit of um, a little bit of self-worth really. Oh wow and then that's led on to also then yeah being obviously a fighter and then promoting side and then obviously being a trainer too. Yeah 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 that's it just it just kind of like evolved it's like a lot of like, a lot of things in life um like the best bits might not actually be planned i never planned to be a coach never planned that i never planned to be a manager a promoter or anything like that i wanted to be a fighter because from from 15 i walked into that gym fell in love with it and i wanted to be a fighter and that was what i thought i was going to work my nuts off to try and become a success at and i wasn't really a success at it and i kind of fell into the the, the coaching side of things and I'm far more successful as a coach than what I was when I was dreaming about okay. success as a young kid, Jack. Yeah, 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 yeah. You've you've had some yeah some great success. I think the first main question we wanted to ask this is what all our listeners wondered as well, and I don't know if you can sum this up succinctly. We tried our best. Is um, why is there so many belts? Why is there WBA, WBO? You know, like how's that a thing you know it's alphabet soup we'd read um i don't know if you, if you could put that in your own you know words somehow. this is this is this is the thing that that it gets us wearing the sport and <laughs> it, it yeah. can frustrate us as well 
Um, so originally, obviously, there's, there's there's one champion and people, you know, but then there becomes a splinter and then somebody else forms something. So they, they became the top three, which was the WBC, the WBA, the IBF. Then the WBO formed, I think maybe late 80s, maybe 80s, but it became to prominence in the 90s. And when that, that formed, it was kind of like kept on the down low. People weren't really interested in it. And then I think the super middleweight era of the Ben Eubanks, Collins, all them sort of guys kind of like promoted that belt and it became, you know, a respectable belt. And uh, okay. then you started having real champions um, uh, fighting for that belt. And so then it became the four. Now, okay. we, we, we respect the four. There is four belts. But the problem is what's happened over the last few years now is those four organisations have started having multiple belts within their own or own organisation. Yeah, we saw so, that. So the WBA, for instance, one of the worst ones, um, they, for instance, will have the WBA champion who is their main man, but then they brought out a regular belt because the the, the champion would then, if he unified and became a, a, a unified champion with one of the other belts or became the, the, the main elite fighter in the division, they then termed him super champion. Okay. So then you've got the super champion and then they decided, well, we're going to bring out the regular belt for everybody else because he's in these big super fights, but we want to be able to have a world champion that is just in the normal fights. Okay. So then they became the regular champion. <laughs> and then what happened is there's, I think somebody else brought out an interim champion. The interim yes. champion was because if the champion breaks his hand or breaks his jaw and is out for a long, long time, in order to keep the division active, then the interim champion or, or a fight would be made for the next available challengers. The interim champion would then be crowned. And then as soon as the champion heals and is fit to fight, the interim fights the champion and then they get rid of the interim. That was what was supposed to happen. And that start, that that went on for a little bit. Okay. And what we thought was, hang on a minute, because every time that you fight for a belt, you have to pay that organization a sanctioning fee. Yep. Okay. But they must have thought, well, wait a minute, we can make some money here. So <laughs> we've got a world champion, we've got an interim champion. What else can we get? And this is what's happening. So we're all pissed off about it. But for the fighters, being honest, it's more of a more. There's more opportunities for fighters. So if you go back to you know when people say, "Oh, it should be one belt, that's it, mm -hmm. one belt, that's it, that's it." But you imagine if there is one belt and you've got all these fighters, and the champions only fighting twice a year, maybe three times a year. How how long is it going to get you? To is it going to take for you to get an opportunity at a world title shot? You know, it, 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 and you might never get it because you know it, it's it may it's a lot it's a lot more difficult than what you think. Um, yeah. it, having a, a one champion and one belt sort of thing. The, the the best thing is is when all the champions are fighting each other and you become unified. You know, like AJ had had um, three of the four belts. Um, uh, you've had Lomachenko is unified. You've got uh, Josh Taylor right now is unified. Yes. That's where the champion goes and takes on the other guys and says, "No, I want, I, I want to see if I'm the best." 
and they once they become world champion, they don't just be satisfied in defending their belt. They go and take on the other organizations, and then they become then that's when they become rightfully one, you know, one champion. Yeah. In the yeah. division. It gets confusing then, for the for the, the the casual boxing. Man, it's confusing for us. Okay, that's good. I'm, I'm, to explain that to you. I'm thinking I'm all right here. Confusing <laughs> brothers, honestly. So one, it's, one um, of the things we were wondering is what's the most prestigious belt? Like as you when you set out in your career, which one are you like I, that is the one I want green to and gold. The green and gold, the WBC, that is the most prestigious. That okay. is the one where you see photos of Muhammad Ali, photos of Sugar Ray Leonard, photos of Mike Tyson. The WBC, the green and gold, that is the most prestigious. However, the WBC now uh, are falling into this category of jokers where they're just inventing a belt for whoever. And okay. they're saying, okay, we'll, uh, we'll have the diamond belt. Um, we'll now have the... Uh, whatever belt I did the coming out so I think Jake Paul or one of the YouTubers for and they brought out a belt for them uh, these these old fighters that are coming back and doing doing these exhibitions oh we'll, we'll bring a belt out for them so the the tarnishing the reputation they have got the most prestigious reputa- reputation in boxing but again through greed through being able to get sanctioning fees tarnishing the belt you know and it's and it's frustrating it's frustrating for us so like I said for, for you guys that don't really own, do you know what I would do? I would, if I was not involved in the sport and the belts didn't actually mean anything, because the, the problem is for us is you get a belt, you've got some worth, you've got some power in the sport. Mm-hmm. You know? and, 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 and for the fighters, it means they're getting paid more. And ultimately it's, it's their job, it's our job. So we need to fight for those belts. Until you become a superstar where you are bigger than the belt. So okay. Say, okay. say for instance, if uh say for instance, AJ and Fury wanted to fight together so they could unify the belts, and then every, they've got you know one man's got all the belts. But then if one man did have all the belts and they fought each other, then they could then realize because they are big enough, they've got all the belts, the belts aren't important to them. They could then get rid of all the belts. And just fight whoever they wanted to fight in big super fights anyway, without having to satisfy mandatories and things like ah, that. Okay. Um, but they are big, powerful men in the sport. Somebody who you wouldn't know of, who is a world champion. I had, I had a world champion um, called Jamie McDonald, a very good fighter, but to the masses, he wasn't known. It was known mm-hmm. to the boxing fans, but because he didn't sell a lot of tickets, because people wouldn't tune in and weren't aware of him, didn't have the big marketing and things like that. So his work wasn't seen as big as everybody else's. So that belt was so important to him that he had to keep hold of that belt because that is how he gets his pay. Without without the belt, his pay would drop okay. like 70%. Yeah. So, so that's why belts are still very important. Um, but for, for fans, if I was you, I wouldn't be so much concerned about what belt they're fighting for. I'll be concerned about, do I like this fighter? Do I enjoy watching this fighter? Okay. Is this fighter good? Is this fight good? And if the answers are yes, enjoy it. Don't worry about the belt. Don't yeah. worry about the belt. The belt doesn't make the fight any better. The belt doesn't make, make the fighter that you're watching any better. 
It's just that it gives them more worth and power in the sport, really. Okay. Yeah. And just randomly, we read that Ring Magazine have got a belt as well. Is that so, true? So like a magazine have got a belt? Yeah. <laughs> right. Okay. So, so this, this is, um, it's the Bible of boxing. It's actually known as the Bible of boxing. Um, and what they do is, is literally, you it is for the number one in the sport, number one in that weight division. That, that that's you know, if if they have if number one and two fight against each other, excuse me, the um, the ring magazine will say, you you know, this is this is for the prestigious ring magazine belt. Okay. Because they will they won't do it if you could be world champion. But not seen as the best in the division, and because it was four work organized four proper, oh, yeah, yeah. yes. So you could be world champion, but not seen as the best, and the ring won't won't entertain. They'll put you even if they don't think you're in the top four, they'll rank you number five, number six, number seven, number eight, whatever. Even if you've got a belt, so for them to recognize you as or the fight as worthy, it has to be other. So guys like Canelo. Tyson Fury, I think, against Deontay Wilder is, is for a ring belt, I think. Um, guys like that, that's when the ring magazine will turn around and say, okay, this is worthy of, of, of our, yep. our belt. Understood. And you were, you were saying there about them picking a ring belt for the different weight categories, and we, we were surprised. We hadn't realised that there were so many, that there's 17 different weight categories. Okay, so so the reason for that is safety is... is yeah, you know, um, you might not think that there's a lot of difference between the weight categories, but it makes a major difference on fight night. So um, sometimes, because what you tend to get is you get really big guys struggling to make the weight below, so they feel bigger and stronger on fight night. You might have a guy who's naturally at that weight, and then those two meet. They're weighing on the same at the same on the scales for that moment. Yeah. But then after that, one guy's fueling up. He puts on. He can put on twenty pound. I've seen people put on more than twenty pound overnight during you know, 30, 30 hours or so from the weigh into the to yeah. the fight. And then you yeah. get him in the ring, and it's like, wow, it's a complete. It's not the same weight. So by having more weight divisions, it it eliminates a lot of the, the danger of that where, where people are coming down way too much. And, and so e- even where it's so close, sometimes it seems like merely kilograms that are difference in it, yeah. but it's just, but a, it's for that same we are, Yeah. So the smaller we are. So say for instance, for, I, I don't know how big you guys are, but say for instance, if you was like big men, 16 heavyweights, let's say, for you to drop two pounds is literally go to the toilet. <laughs> <laughs> it's it's literally nothing. It's literally nothing, right? So for you to drop a couple of pounds is nothing. But the guy, like when I boxed, I I boxed. I was a flyweight, so I was eight stone. So if you want me to drop a couple of pounds, that percentage of my body weight, that's a lot. Yeah. That's yes. hard. And especially yeah. if I'm ripped already, and then I'm still having to drop another couple of pounds, that's hard. And vice versa, for me to put on a couple of more pounds is hard. Whereas for you guys. Again, it's 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 a lot easier. So that's why down as the weights get smaller, you see less of a difference. So um, uh, you had straw weight, which is a, the smallest weight division. It's it's also called minimum weight. That was seven stone seven. 
Okay. Then the next way up was seven stone ten. So it's only three pounds. But that three pounds, you actually do see a difference when guys move up in weight. Okay. Or does the power carrier or yeah. does it not? Or can they take the shot? It is different. From from light fly to which is seven ten to uh flyweight is four pounds. It's seven stone ten to eight stone. And then from eight stone to eight stone six for bantam weight. So flyweight to bantam weight is six pounds. So that that six pound again at their weight is quite a lot, quite yeah. a quite a big jump. Yeah. And it goes to eight, ten, and so on and so on. But as you get get bigger, so um light middleweight is um junior middleweight, if you want to call it, is eleven stone, and then middleweight is eleven stone six. So you're talking half a stone, and then from eleven stone six to twelve stone, so the gaps start becoming bigger. Yeah, right. When you get to, now, this is also a problem because when you get to light heavyweight, so from light from light heavyweight, light heavyweight is 12 stone seven. There was a massive jump to cruiserweight, which is from light heavyweight at 12 stone seven to 14 stone four. So oh, that's wow. a big yeah, that jump. is a big jump, isn't it? That is a big jump. Because you could be a guy that that just can't make super middleweight at 12 stone. Just can't make it. It's just too much of a struggle. It zaps your power. You can get down to 12-3, maybe 12, you know, 12-2, and then that last couple of pounds. It's always the last couple of pounds that, that is the hardest. And you you just can't do it. So then you'll box at light heavyweight. So you'll move up to light heavyweight. Yeah. You you almost could make the weight division below. But then you get this big guy that comes down to that limit. Yeah. There's a big jump. Dangerous. And from, from, so if you're if you're then going into the next division, there's a massive jump from twelve stone seven to fourteen stone four. And again, the same thing is is if you if you if you can more or less make light heavyweight comfortable, but you can't quite make it, and so you go into cruiserweight, and you're really about a thirteen stone guy, but you're fighting a guy that's weighing fourteen four that's come down from about fifteen and a half stone. Yeah. You know, yeah. maybe 16 stone. Some cruise, cruiserweights walk around at 16 stone, come down at 14.4. So that's a big, big weight difference. So that's that's an issue where realistically they could do with um, uh, me personally, I would like to have seen them because the cruiserweight division used to be 13 stone eight, I think it was. Um, so maybe move the cruiserweight division to, four, you know, 13 eight or even 14 stone and then do a super cruiserweight division okay which maybe 15 15 stone maybe a little bit over 15 stone and then anything over that is a heavyweight because what you've got is from cruiserweight at 14 four if you're a 15 stone guy that can't walk around can't get it down to, to 14 four if you you're actually naturally 15 stone when you when you ripped your diet and everything you're fighting monsters that 19, 18 stone. Yes. It's it, it huge. Yeah, yeah. So the WBC brought in a, a new weight division called, it's called Bridgeway, which is the worst name in the world and nobody takes it seriously. But they've tried to do it, but it's just them that's done it and it needs to be all uniformed and done properly. Liam, you mentioned about the rehydration clauses that you'd read yeah, about. Yeah, is it, is it, is it Canelo? Canelo puts on lots of weight, doesn't he? Um, like water weight or, you know, rehydrates yeah. up to whatever. Yeah. And um, yeah, I was re- just reading about they they put in rehydration clauses where you have to weigh in again before the fight or you get so, fined. So that's the IBF. So the IBF, one of the organisations, um, 
they have a ten pound limit. You have to get weighed the next morning. After so the weight on the on the on the day, let's say uh, welterweight weighs in at um, one four seven pounds, ten stone seven pound. Um, then they can go away. They can eat, but eat and drink. But the next morning, which is fight morning, as soon as they get up, they agree on a time. And both fighters will get weighed again, and they're not allowed to be ten pound over. Uh, okay. If they're ten pound over, then you can't fight for the title or or, or your massive fine. Um, it's I think for that you can't fight 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 for the title. But what some people do is non-title fights or, or whatever. Sometimes they put in a stipulation that if you weigh over x amount, what happens in a lot of the big fights that aren't really title fights is they'll put in a, a stipulation where you can't weigh. X on fight night, and if you okay. do, you have to pay for every pound over. You have to pay me X amount, and that that can happen at times. But um, the IBF is the only one that's officially where if you were wanting to fight for their title, if you you have to weigh in again the next day. The other guys, they don't. You can weigh whatever you want. Okay. Um. So moving on, so we spoke about the weights, me and Ollie, and then the next thing we started talking about was like the role of a promoter, and that essentially. They just finance everything with the hope yeah. that they get a cut of all the pay-per-view or ticket sales or whatever. Is that essentially right? They just pay so, for everything so, and just take a cut at the end? So basically, promoters get a, get a, a, a rough deal, to be honest, um, because what what people don't realise is, is that basically their role is, yes, to promote the fighter and to build the fighter up, build his profile, promote him, says it on the tin. Yep. Also, <laughs> what what their role as a promoter is is that everything that you see when you turn the television you watch, they've paid for. Be it the the venue, the ring hire, the security, the police bill, which costs a lot for arena shows, you know, a lot of money. Um, they pay for everything, you know, the printing of the tickets, the every everything. Um, so their money is made on ticket sales. Yep. If the show doesn't sell and it bombs. They lose money, so sometimes uh, you know, and and then also they they have to pay for every every purse that's on, uh, you know, every wage that's on that that show, from the doctors to the fighters to the referees to the judges. Okay. They, they pay for everything, and then the ticket sales has got to cover it. Now, if it's a TV show, they get a they get a, a fee, a rights fee from the TV company as well. Sometimes it's a good rights fee. Sometimes it's bang average. It doesn't cover the fights. It might cover the main event, and then it's down. Well, can the ticket sales cover the rest of it? Plus their wages for the people that are working from and things like that. So it's it's quite you know it's quite high risk, and a lot of promoters lose a lot of money. The non TV promoters, it's a nightmare because they can't you know you've got you've got a kid boxing. Let's just say he's, he's boxing for um, uh, uh, an English title and he's getting paid five grand. Two fighters getting paid five grand for a little English title on a non-TV show. Okay. Um, your ticket sales, because it's a small old little leisure centre, your ticket sales are £40 and maybe £60 ringside, £80 ringside. Well, how many tickets is that? Is are those two fighters going to sell to be able to cover the cost of their fight? Yes. Then you need other people to sell to cover the cost of their fights and, and so on and so on, because you don't have the comfort of a, a rights fee from the TV company. Yes, yeah. you are literally relying on what what the fighters can sell. Um, and although 
a fighter's job should just be to fight in in its business. And if your promoter can't afford to keep putting on the shows, it's all right to say, well, you shouldn't promote them. But then you can't get a fight and you're not promoted. Yes. So it's very difficult, yeah. you know. A, a lot of most fighters want to be promoted, want to be the house fighter. But in order to do that, you have to kind of like help the promoter by selling the ticket as well. Because what you know, what can be said is if if you can't convince your mates to spend forty pounds to come and watch your box, yes, why should the promoter lose a few grand on your fight to yes. watch your box? Because essentially, yeah. you sat there yeah. watching your box same as your mate. Yeah, do you know what I mean? Yeah. So it, when, it's, it's difficult. When you're saying about boxers helping promote the fight as well, you you see it more so with the, with the TV. Um, with the big fights as well, you sometimes get some pretty strange antics that go on in the build-up and the press conferences before the fights. As a promoter, have you like, ever been sitting there and thinking, oh, come on, no, don't do that. Like, don't come out dressed like Batman, like Fury did, or David Hay, where he, you know, he had the, he had the, he had the T-shirt with the two Klitschko seven yeah, heads, didn't he? Yeah. Like, well, are you ever embarrassed or are you always just thinking, yeah. this is good promo, this is just good for the fight? You always, you always know, oh, it's, it's- good promo i mean it's it's good promo but it's it's better when it's organic and when it is actually down to the, to the feelings that the fighters have got if there's some genuine animosity or it's just a fighter that will go off at any split second because you you know it's it's not cricket it's not tennis it's not all <laughs> nice and polite you know yeah this is this is you're talking about guys that are going there with the intention of of, of, of trading blows so yeah. i you know i can say it because I used to, you know, I used to be a boxer myself, but you you have to have something in your head that's quite, that's a little bit, a little bit off, a bit, a little bit abnormal to be, you know, to know for eight weeks you're going to be going walking this ring in front of loads of people and somebody's going to be trying to smash your head up, you know? <laughs> and so, so these personalities can come out sometimes and, you know, some a lot of times you've got fighters that are very placid, but everybody's got a, everybody's got a little flick. Uh, a little switch there. Yeah. and you know and when when you're in that especially fight week not so much when there's weeks and weeks to go that's when it's genuinely where people don't like each other before the fight but on fight week something can can you know it can might be the most placid build-up and then on that last two days before you know before the fight and you have a press conference and all of a sudden with the pressures of everything build up selling the tickets doing any media engagement just the sheer knowing that the fight's drawing close, making weight, everything. Just being in the same vicinity, the guy that you're fighting can just trigger somebody. And all of a sudden, this personality comes out and you think, wait, he's not like that, but this is fighting. So, you know, in terms of things like that, where it is organic and it's whether it's a genuine grudge or where it's genuine emotions that, that just, just spark up, that's great promotion. And for me, I, I, that's part of the game and it looks great. But sometimes you see people trying to trying to be um, yes. a character. Yeah, it, yeah. Like, oh, it, it comes across as cringy when you yeah, know the trying. Um, so, you know, it, it's just it's just how it is. So so the fight's been promoted, okay? So we're, we've trained for it. We've got the fight. We're now in the fight. So as a trainer or a coach, you, you've obviously been in corners on fight nights and things. Something we wondered was, do you feel like you have an influence over the fight as it's playing out or yeah. are there times where the boxer just goes like fight or flight and they're just not listening. They've gone like blinkered. Oh, they're just, oh. that must infuriate you. 
Oh, man. So, so the worst thing for me, I, although, you know, I've, I've, I've been lucky that, that I've come out like in the 20,000 seat arenas where there's not a seat empty. And yeah. that, that atmosphere and that, the adrenaline that's, you know, when you're behind the curtain and the, you wait and the music, your man's music comes on and he's waiting, you know, you're waiting to walk out. That, you can hear the roar of the crowd. You can hear anticipation of the crowd, or you might see a little crack in the curtain. You see see everybody out there with the, with with the torches on and the cameras and things. And there's a lot of adrenaline going. But that's not the nervous bit for me. That I, I don't get nervous about that bit. It's when you're in the ring, the introductions have, has happened. You walk to the center of the ring. That's when it starts bubbling for me. And I just okay. this, this is and and you walk to the center of the ring and the referee gives you the instructions. You turn around, the last thing that I say to my fighter, and then that little few seconds as I'm climbing out of the ring, I hate yeah. that minute. That, that split second, <laughs> you know, two seconds it takes, that is the worst part of my job for me. Because what you just touched on there is at that moment, at that precise moment, I'm handing over reins. Yes. And, yeah. and I'm trusting my fighter yeah. to do what I've seen him do in the gym. And to follow instructions of what we've been drilling and drilling and spent hours doing. And then also to listen to instructions from myself during the fight. Now, sometimes you do get a fighter that just don't listen. And it's not that he's ignorant, arrogant, or, you know, just a shit to deal with. It's not because of that. (laughs) It's just, it's the fight. And sometimes emotions and, you know, mentalities, they have to cope with so much going on. Yeah. And someone's yeah, trying to hit them in the face. Yeah, and and it's the pressure of fans watching yeah. you. And I know you don't consciously think about it as such, but that's a subconscious thing. You know that you're you know, it's like a gladiator in front of, of front of loads of people there, just all eyes on, on them. So there's a lot of pressure. So sometimes fighters struggle with that and and kind of like just go into a mode and uh, you know, it can work where some fighters, no matter what the coach is telling them, they're just negative and they just go in. They f- that's where we say, oh, they, they, they freeze. Yeah. Um, and there's another one where they can just go out there like a lunatic and just start swinging and you think, oh, what are you doing? And they, <laughs> and they get, get done. That so, wasn't what we talked about in the gym. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So, so. Windmill, so, big windmill arms. But you see, what, what people have to remember is, is you know, Essentially, I know fighters train and they live it and everything like that, but they are just human beings and there are emotions involved. And, you know, like some days you go to work, you know, I don't know what it is, what what your full-time jobs are, but you might be working construction, you might be working in an office or whatever like that. You have a bad day at work. Yeah. Yeah. Just come home and just moan and bitch about it and and put it to the back of your mind and start again the next morning when you wake up. When a fighter has a bad day at work, the whole world knows about it. everybody's talking about it on Twitter. Yes. Everybody's flagging them off. Everybody's writing them off for the rest of their life again. And nobody will let them forget it, no matter what they go on and do. You could you win a world title, but you're lost in your tenth fight. Yes. And people still say, Yeah, we got beat against those and that. And people will still slate you. And yeah. you know, you look at Floyd Mayweather, one of the greatest fighters that's ever lived, the greatest fighter of our generation, undefeated in 55s, did everything. People still don't rate him and say he's overrated. If he's going to be talked about like that, yeah. then what chances <laughs> anybody yes. else got? Completely, 
Do you know what I mean? And 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 so that's they're they're the other sort of pressures that are on fighters' minds. And so it, sometimes all that sort of shit affects fighters on fight night, and they're thinking about. Sometimes they, they might think about you know like football. Sometimes you see in, in matches where a highly anticipated game, you think it's going to be an absolute bomb burner, a killer game. Yes, yes, it's a stinker. Yeah, both teams are playing cage because it's a fear of losing. Yeah, not thinking about what can they do if they win. What happens if they win? And it's about exactly. flipping that mentality. Same thing happens in boxing. Sometimes you can have a fear of losing, even if you've got the belts, even if you've got if, if you're the man. You can you can then all of a sudden just think, shit. If I lose this, I've got so much to lose. So, so you've climbed the mountain. You've got what you've always worked for, and then you can also then think, I can't lose this. I've just got. I've got. Yeah. And then it makes you freeze. It kind of make, it makes you hesitant. So there's so many different complex mentalities in boxing, and but in, in any sport as well. But that's why sometimes you don't quite see things play out as you'd expect. And then for you, Dave. So if you've been stirred. Out just out the ring, you're in the corner. Uh, you're the trainer. Have you ever had to throw in the towel for anybody? And have you then? Has it been like conflicting emotions then, knowing that your guy's getting beat, but their whole world is going to crumble afterwards? Like, yeah, I mean, I've I've thrown in the towel um, on one of my, you know, at the time he was a young prospect, um, and he was just not right, and he kept going down with body shots, and I'm thinking that's not him. I've seen him hit with body shots plenty of times and um he'd keep getting up and he was still wanting to fight and i just knew it's just it's just not right so i pulled him out in the corner and he didn't want to be pulled out but i'm thinking about at this point he's what 20 probably about 23 maybe um yeah 24 24 i think he was um and i'm thinking he's all young he'll come back but You leave him in there to get a absolute hammering that can take something away from a fire and yeah. Yeah. conference. So there are timings, and sometimes you have to do that. You have to you have to throw the towel in, mm-hmm. um, and sometimes it might not be what your fighter wants. But at the end of the day, you're you're custodial for his his health and his well being going forward, and also thinking about rebuilding. Because sometimes, like I said, sometimes it's not your night, and if it's not going to turn around and if you just know your fighter's not going to turn it around, do they really need to stay in there and, and get hammering just so they can say they went the distance? You know? Yeah. Good point. And then <clears throat> you've had the complete opposite as well. Right? You've had some absolutely incredible yeah. nights, haven't you, as a trainer? I don't know. What's the, what's the, like, the standout moment for you that, that we should share with our listeners? Um, the only reason why I've got an evidence shirt in my office is when Tony Bellew won the world title at Goodison Park. So, Everton, that that's all right because that was one of the t-shirts that we wore. Um, but yeah, that's the standout one because it was um, it's that's the pinnacle. You, you know, you 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 want to win a world title as a fighter. Yeah. You want to win a world title as a as a coach. Um, myself and Bellew have been friends for over a decade. Uh, I've seen his struggles, ups and downs, and everything. And then for him to achieve that. At Goodison Park, what it, knowing what it meant to him, yeah, that's the best night ever. The atmosphere was unbelievable. Goodison must have been it, bouncing. It literally <laughs> was the stand, the whole Gladys and uh, Everton was just bouncing. It was un- unbelievable. It really was. But um, yeah, that that stands out. But I have had a, I've, I'm lucky enough to have had a lot of good nights. I mean, another one was was 
Curtis Woodhouse, taking Curtis Woodhouse from a Premiership football to become a British champion. World champion, a British title for me. That's cool. So to, to be a success in both sports, you know, it's unbelievable. That was such a story. So, so yeah, it's been, it's been good. Talking about, like, um, all these, like, big-time professional boxers, one thing we sort of mentioned briefly in our pod was about amateurs and... Yeah why some people might decide to stay an amateur or, or turn pro. And, you know, you're coming off the Olympics and discussing, is so-and-so going to go pro or not? Just what, why would somebody decide to stay amateur versus going pro or vice versa? So if you're, um, if you're representing your country and you are part of that elite podium squad, you get paid. You get okay. funding. Funding, it's not paid, is it? But it's funding. Funding is pretty good. So, so you know, and if you're a big name, you're doing really well. Then some people are like, do you know what? Would I? Or you know, so boxing works in circles in the amateur because they're all going chasing for that Olympic uh, cycle, Olympic year. Yeah. So sometimes with your age, it might be a case of at at 23, I didn't make it, but I was really close. Next cycle, I think I'll get into Olympic team then. So they wait. But then, you know, that's 27. So they, they do the Olympics. And then maybe by the time they come back from the Olympics and everything, then they're almost 28 or they are 28. And it's like, well, I'm now knocking on in terms of professional. I might as well stay amateurs, keep getting paid and, and be a hero in the amateurs and what have you. And, and build a, a you know a, a career or something behind scenes in, in the amateur game and that side of thing so they might do that um others just feel satisfied i've achieved everything i can achieve in, in the amateur game i want to turn pro that's for the olympians and the elite sort of guys um the the you know, regular amateurs that, that that are out there that you you know we all know and we all see more on a regular basis um with those guys, some people dream about becoming pros. Some people don't. Some people just love to box and aren't bothered about doing it as a as a living. Okay. Um, yeah. You know, also, others may have a good jobs, um, and they weigh up and they think, well, I can't. When, when you turn professional, it's hard financially. It's very very hard for a fighter because you're on you're on peanuts, like literally peanuts at the beginning. Okay. You know, but everybody thinks that you're earning loads and loads of money, um, and you're not. Um, so some people might have to weigh it up and think, well, can I afford to go pro and not work for a living? Or if I work for a living and try and train on the back end of that as well, how far can I go as a pro compared to a guy that's training full-time as a professional? Can I compete with that? So then they might think, well, no, I'm just going to stay amateur, you know? Yes. Um, yeah. Whereas yeah. with other people, it's like, <clears throat> no. I'm going to have X amount of amateur fights, get a little bit of experience or go as far as I can with amateurs to a certain age. Then I'm going to go professional because I want to become world champion. I want to be a professional fighter. And that's, you know, that's, that's their sort of um, rule. Yeah, that makes sense. We, we did read about some of that disparity and, and how hard it can be from an earnings point of view, getting going. Yeah, yeah that, that, that completely makes sense. We were, um, we were interested just to maybe hear your thoughts and you touched on it earlier about just the future of boxing and how we're seeing, you know, YouTubers and influencers getting involved in the sport. You You had to talk about it. (laughs) Yeah. What what do you think about it is essentially, we wondered, you know? Oh, (laughs) do you know what? Listen. Don't hold back. The the problem, right. 
The problem is, I understand it because, and this is a problem, we're in a world where it's all about views. Views generate money. Yep. And if X has two and a half million followers on his socials and Y has one and a half million followers on his socials, that's a lot of views. That's a lot of eyes. They decide to think, well, do you know what? We can make a lot of money. Let's have a fight. People just want, people like to see people fighting. Whether it's good, high level, you want to watch a good fight, or whether it's a couple of people that you don't particularly like, you just want to see them have a fight and have a laugh yeah. at it, right? Yeah. yeah. People like to see people fight. We always have them throughout history. That's that's what that's what human beings do. They love love to see a fight. If 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 a fight breaks out in in, in a nightclub, what does everybody do? They're looking for <laughs> what's happening. They might not even be able to see anything, but they want yeah, to see yeah. what's going on, right? So yeah. this is how people are. Now, if these guys have got such a massive following, then they are, of course, they're going to want to, because they can make money. So if, if, if they're going to make millions to have a fight and they're not any good, but they know they're going to make the money, why are they going to turn it down? Would you turn it down? Would I? Say, no, we can all say, no, I'd not do that. But you know, if somebody's saying to you, you can have two million quid for going yeah. in there and yeah. having a fight and all right, you might get beat, but you might win, whatever, but you're going to get two million quid. You're going to go, what? Yeah, of course I will. So I understand why they're doing it. My issue is, is when these YouTubers that can't fight and, and are crap, then start calling out Canelo and yeah, real yeah. fighters. And, and it's like, oh my God, you you're picking fights against against fellow YouTubers or a basketballer or uh, you know people that aren't real fighters. You haven't fought a real fighter yet, but you're calling <laughs> yeah. out yeah, Canelo was one of one of the legends of the sport. Yeah, that's where it's like, mate, shut up. Does it make that... you want to get your gloves back out again? And <laughs> <laughs> mate, it, it's, it's a, that is that is the worst thing. That is, a, I, I can have it if if you just at your own level. It's who are we to say no? Because at the end of the day, we don't have to watch it. I have never, I have never watched a Jake Paul fight in my life. I've not watched his no. fight yet. Right. Jake Paul or Logan Paul, there's two brothers. Yeah. But I know who they are. Obviously, I know who they are. And so they're doing a job because everyone knows the names. Now, you have then got the choice of whether you want to pay to watch them box or not. You're not nobody's forcing you. So yes. I can't turn around and say, oh, it shouldn't happen. Because I've got a choice of do I want to watch it or not. I yeah. choose not to. But it's all the same as the legends that are coming back. Mike Tyson, Roy Jones, Ivan Roy, yeah. Roy have listen when they fought they were my heroes and i i watch i'd get up in the middle of the night and watch them and everything have i watched any one of their fights fights since they've come back on this on this circuit and stuff like that no yeah my choice there are people that have paid to watch it and the people that have watched it their choice well as long as we've got a choice yeah you can't yeah. turn around and say shouldn't happen because at the end of the day, people are choosing to watch it. And, and while ever people are choosing to watch it, it'll happen. Do I think it should happen? A 60-year-old, near on 60-year-old Ivan Royfield getting in the ring again when he's, you know, oh, yeah. deteriorated really badly. Yeah, it's horrific, wasn't it? Do I think that should happen? Shit, no. I think yeah. it's disgusting. And I think it's, it's, it's jeopardising our sport. Even though it's not an actual professional boxing match it's an exhibition put on by some 
idiots, do I, if, if something happened, do you think the headline would read, tragedy, whatever, damage, horrific knockout, whatever, on, 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 on non-professional boxing bout? No, it'd be former world champions, rah, rah, rah. Yes. And it, people then, it's a stigma with boxing. But then it tarnishes your yeah. sport. Yes. And it tarnishes right. our sport. So that's where the danger is for me. And that's where the frustration is for me. That's why I think, no, it, it, it shouldn't be happening. But the only way that it doesn't happen is that these people that have got these outlets, these people that are, that are training these fighters and going in the corner with these fighters and promoting these shows, if they're going to use them and do it, it's going to happen. They're the people that should say, if, for instance, if Andrew Royfield walked into your gym and said, I want to fight so-and-so, uh, so-and-so in X amount of weeks, I want you to train me, say no. Say, yes, yeah. go home, enjoy your life that you've got because of all the work that you've put in and just chill. Yeah. You don't need to get punched in the head again. Yeah. But they're not. Turning around saying, "How much? How much you get? Shit, yeah. Here you go." And that's yeah. and they're trying to talk yeah. it as though it's, as, as though as though the they can justify it. And while that happens, it's not. It's, it's like when you're talking about, um, you know, you, you can, there's so many things you talk. But but the book stops with the 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 coverage that whatever company is is giving them, because if you take away the coverage, you take away the rights fees. So the promoters then rely on ticket sales, but then if the people don't go and watch it, yeah, nothing happens. People won't train him, won't put him on a show. It doesn't happen. But there's all a network of people that are just seeing dollar signs and thinking, "I, I want, my, I want mine." Exactly. Um, so this is going to go out after the fact, but. Let's talk about a proper fight. It'd be remiss of us not to at least ask this just to finish. Obviously, Fury and Wilder is going to fight this weekend. Um, yeah. You know, I don't know if you fancy giving us a prediction, but th this will come out after the fact. So, you know, you will be held to whatever you say. I don't know. <laughs> what, do you, what do you think might happen this weekend? Just to, just to finish, I guess. Um, so, your sensible edge should say uh, Tyson Fury absolutely does a job on him. Yeah. He, he, he won... Apart from a couple of rounds, he won the first fight. He should have got it. Um, the second fight, he absolutely demolished Deontay Wilder in a different way. The first fight is going back. The second fight, it goes forward and is aggressive. So he's shown he can yes. do it in both manners. The only thing is, Deontay Wilder can punch. Yeah. That's, and, and, and the problem about and people think, you know, and you guys and, and people that are watching will think, oh, he's sitting on the fence. I'm not sitting on the fence. I fully expect Tyson Fury to win. Okay. I fully expect him to win. But what I am saying, I'm not covering my arse, but I'm just saying it as it is. <laughs> while Wilder hits that hard, he can knock out anybody. So yeah. he has got that punch. He has got that chance of knocking out Fury. So if Wilder was to win, would would I say that's a shock to me? No, it's not a shock. Yeah, it's not a shock sense. because he can, he can punch. You know, he really can. And and in his defence, in preparation for this fight, I watched him on the pads and training. He put out a lot of, of training footage. And he looks so much better with his new coach. Malik Scott is a very, 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 very intellectual boxing coach. Knows boxing inside out. 
Very, very clever man. And he's got him more balanced. He's got him using two hands, but his left hand so much better. His shape so much better. Seems snappier, seems more variety in his punches. Whereas before he was just looking for that one right hand all the time. Now he looks like he can set things up. So he looks like a better fighter. But then when you listen to him talk, he's just talking about excuses from the last fight. Yes. Oh, my suit's too heavy. I had this yes. on, uh, the gloves, oh, yeah. the trainer, yeah, yeah. this. If you're just if you're making excuses for a loss, you're not learning from the loss. Yeah. But is he just bluffing and using this, using the carrying on with the excuses? I know he came out with the excuses first, but then he's went away, he's gone training, if that yes. are they just carrying that on? So Fury and all those lot think Wilder's lost the plot. He just thinks the only reason why he's delusional, he just thinks the only reason why he lost yes. is because of his suit and all that crap. And on fight night, it comes out and you think, whoa, hang on a minute. He switched on and he's there and he puts on a great performance. Yeah. Attacked it. That's a, poss- that's, a, that's a possibility. But, nah, I think Tyson Fury all day, to be honest. Okay, like you were saying, though, it's, it's the excitement of the heavyweight division where that's what, that, that's that, what one punch, fight. that one punch could, could knock yeah. someone down like you know, Dillian White had it with Quebec. Yeah. Yeah, where he uh, he got knocked out, didn't he? Okay, yeah. that's good. So we, we got you on on record there, Dave. We're saying Fury to outbox him, but there could be could be a sting from Wilder, maybe. Yeah, I, I, think, I, think, I do. I, th- I think Fury wins, but it, like I say, it won't surprise me if, if Wilder just because Wilder can knock out anybody. That's that's the fact. Yeah, Dave, it has been absolutely brilliant speaking with you. Thank you so much for taking the yeah, time. Thank you very much for coming on. Giving no, you thanks for having me on. I've enjoyed it. Opinion. Appreciate that your opinion and real life experience about all your years in boxing. It's been amazing. Thank you very much. Just remember that it is just an opinion. I'm not saying that I'm right. <laughs> I could have just read you all this shit and I'm confident. Everyone's watching saying, what's he on about? Just my opinion. That's all. <laughs> Brilliant. Thank you. Cheers, guys. Liam, that was our first interview for Series 3. Started off with boxing. Couldn't get much better than that, talking to somebody who's been in it for 35 years, boxed, promoted, and now a trainer and had world champions. What do you make of that? I'm going to say what I say on everyone. That's interesting, though, isn't it? <laughs> <laughs> I need to get that on a T-shirt. It just, it's just so good hearing people, like, just clarifying what we found out and just, you know, lots of what he said we did, in fact, find out. And there's little yeah. bits and nuggets in there that we didn't know. And, yeah, hopefully just... just sorted out what we found. I mean, I'm, I'm not sure his explanation of the uh, all the different belts was any more succinct than ours was, to be honest, but... <laughs> yeah, like, well, it's they other people want to make more money and they get more belt, set up another belt organisation and if it starts to get prestigious, then it, it starts to grow and if it's popular. So, but All our money, all our money's on Fury to win and then when this comes out, we might be millionaires. <laughs> Sounds good. That's brilliant. We hope everybody listening has enjoyed that as well. And just hearing Dave's perspective um, and just clarifying some of the things that we we already spoke about in this week's pod. If you have any questions or um, want us to go back and ask Dave anything, please let us know. Contact us at Two Guys One Topic on Twitter, Instagram or Facebook. And we'll speak with you next Tuesday when a new pod's out. Get out there and share some knowledge. <laughs>